This is episode 94 of the Andrew Hines Real Estate Investing Podcast. Welcome to episode 94 of the Andrew Hines Real Estate Investing Podcast. Today I have Marco Ugbaba on the show and you can bet that I've tried to pronounce that several times and finally I'm just starting to get it. But uh, Marco is an incredibly awesome investor that's only been at it for one and a half years, but the guy is full of energy. He's full of determination. And I absolutely know he's going to do some really big things in the coming years. But what he's done so far is he's assembled a portfolio that cash flows $7,500 a month. He's getting up to $2,000 a month projected cash flow on the projects he's working on right now. And again, only been in the business for a year and a half. He's a realtor in that business for approximately a year and a half as well. But he's learning very quickly. Uh, you would definitely not know what to speak to him. He's uh, he's a very, very savvy investor. And this was a really cool conversation. So I think you're going to enjoy it. Just before we get into it, please make sure that you're hitting the subscribe button. You've already left a review on Apple Podcasts. And if you're watching this on YouTube, feel free to leave me a comment, give me a thumbs up and make sure you hit that notification bell so you get notified every time there's a new episode, which is every Sunday. And if you are new to this podcast, as always, I recommend going right back to episode one so that you can benefit from all the incredible guests that have been on this show. And of course, we dig right into the nuts and bolts of the calculations and the basic concepts in those earlier episodes, which I don't do as much of these days. Uh, just for natural reasons. So without further ado, please enjoy this awesome episode with Marco Ugbaba. Marco, if I screwed that up, I apologize, but I'm trying here. Anyways, enjoy. Here we go. Hello and welcome to the Andrew Hines Real Estate Investing Podcast. I have a stone cold killer on the podcast <laughs> today. Marco, and I'm going to let you say the last name. Ugbaba. Okay. It's close on your Instagram story. I tried. Yeah, no, that's, that's a tough one. The first time I saw that, I'm like, um, no, <laughs> my, my dad saw it. And my dad was like, why did that guy say sorry about your dad? I'm like, oh, no, he said sorry because he butchered the last oh, name. Yeah. So, yeah. So I, you drove all the way up for uh, from Windsor. That's right. And um, Marco, you're doing crazy stuff. And I feel like not enough people know about what you're doing, which when I posted that, people actually responded to me and saying, glad that Marco's getting out oh, really? the, uh, the spotlight here. So I'm still wondering why I'm here. So yeah, know. well, yeah. I'm glad glad you're here. So, anyways, Marco, um, we're working together on a couple of things, mm-hmm. uh, helping you with some some development construction stuff. Tell uh, tell our listeners and viewers what you're up to. Yeah, so um, right now I have five properties in Windsor. I don't do any joint ventures. I know. I think you had Kellen on here as well. I think he does no joint ventures as well, right? Kellen was just uh, singing the praises of the no joint venture. Yeah, so you're better hear it again. So Andrew's audience here. So yeah, no joint ventures. Um, so right now I'm doing my first student housing development which is probably why you're having me on the podcast today. Um, and that's what you're helping me with as well. So pretty, pretty pumped up for that. Yeah, well, it's, it's kind of cool. I've, I've been enjoying it and also a little envious of the cash flow you're getting down there. <laughs> so uh, Marco and I talk pretty regularly and, and he's, uh, he's mentioning to me how much cash flow he's getting down there. Uh, tell us a little bit about what you're getting and, and how, you know, how you come across that. What do you got to do to get that kind of cash flow? Right, well, it depends on which property. Uh, for example, I'll say one that's already done. Um, so I have a duplex on California Avenue. So it's about one street away from the university. That one's cash flow is about thirty three hundred per month. Um, keep in mind I haven't refinanced, so like I have like sixty percent equity in that one. Um, but this new development, for example, after the refinance, all of the money's out. We're looking at about two thousand dollars per month cash flow for for that. Two thousand a month. Mm-hmm. So, so I think you were throwing out some numbers to me. Like, what do you add as a portfolio? You have five properties. You just bought yeah. the fifth. But even yeah. before that, you were already at. 
quite a nice cash flow number. Right. Yeah. Like I hit the financial independence, whatever you call it, uh, when I was 23. So that was actually only with two properties that I hit that. So we're far exceeded that point now. And what was financial independence for you? Like how much did you um, I think I was making like 5,500 a month cash flow. So that and that's point, after or... maintenance, after... I, I maintain it myself, right? So I don't do property management and like even cutting the grass and stuff is, is done by me. Um, with repairs, when we renovate the properties, typically there's not really that many repairs that go along with it. Um, so if you want to factor in like a 5% or 10%, you can. So that's not including uh, a maintenance fee there. Okay. Yeah. So mm-hmm. you're just giving, yeah, I'm pretty conservative when I come up with a cash flow number, but even still. So then you mm-hmm. added on properties after that, two more. So, so right. you're up to yeah. four. And well, then so these, so the two, I actually bought a property. I don't know if you knew or not, like three days ago. I saw it on your story. Right. So. Yeah. So just for this podcast to have something to yeah. talk about, right? Well, some, you got to look like a big shot. <laughs> No, so uh, once all of the projects are done, we'll be at around ninety five hundred per month uh, cash flow. That's with this new construction done, and then also this duplex conversion. We'll be at about ninety five hundred per month. Again, okay. not including your uh, your maintenance, so not including maintenance. Right. So if you want to throw five percent on on there, um, maybe a few thousand dollars you want to add in there, but. Right. Uh, not, that's it's not even that much actually it shouldn't be a, a few thousand maybe a thousand across all the properties it's not much yeah and keep in mind one of them as well is gonna be brand new development so uh, as long as my uh, coach yeah. does a does a good job walking yeah. through it we, we should be able to avoid some repairs there <laughs> yeah so so one of the reasons when when you reached out to me and kind of mm-hmm. wanted a little help with the development and the construction side is kind of knowing how to gc yourself mm-hmm. and, and how to do that efficiently because there's obviously when you get quotes from contractors, and this is what I encountered, is they just they make your deal not work sometimes. Of course, not always. I'm not. Mm-hmm. I'm not trying to label all, uh, but I'm. As people know, I'm a control freak, so I like to control my process. Not that I won't hire out help and sub, but you know, subcontract. Mm-hmm. But general contracting yourself. Why do you see a value in that? Well, because the whole reason I went to Windsor was to become a real estate developer. Like that's the only reason that I'm here. So it just doesn't make any sense for me to get a contractor to do it when I want to be that right. Well, some developers still hire contractors, right? It's, they do I like the marketing those, and... I consider those two separate things. Like developing is kind of getting all the permits and approvals, approvals getting ready to go. Right. Not necessarily permits, mm-hmm. but taking something where it was single family and getting it zoned and, and a site plan approved for a right. triplex. That's what I would consider the development stage. And then you obviously transition into construction. I think they're kind of different, different mm-hmm. skill sets. I like the complete package. So like my, um, the person that I worked for, which is the biggest student housing developer in all of Canada, they did everything in-house. Like even the architecture firm was in-house. Yeah. Um, design studio, construction, everything. Um, and that's kind of the way I want to do it as well. So I want it like an all-in-one package. Yeah. And that's the way uh, Valor and ProFunds are here is they, they, they've, they started as just kind of the mm-hmm. capital arm for developers. And then they started bringing the development in-house. Now they have urban planners in-house. They've got the mortgage brokerage in-house, right. the equity raise in-house. Well, how adv- yeah. advantageous is that too, right? Like you're not waiting so long, like you're not putting the back of the line, like everything is right yeah. away. You have the employees, right? Well, that was, that was the big thing for me. Like just like the earlier projects from, from a construction standpoint, mm-hmm. when I would go in, you know, and one day no one showed up. I'm firing people that day yes. and calling new people. Yes. Like, whereas, you know, other people are like, oh yeah, we had another thing come up. We'll be back on Friday. I'm like, yeah, don't come back. <laughs> right. And but I wouldn't say that, you know, I don't, I, I'm not petty because I might use them again. Once the cameras come off guys, it's the real toxic. No, I'm just kidding. But uh, no, you're right. And to get that level of control, I think the only way to do it is by doing it yeah. in-house. And, and that's like, you know, a decade down the line when you're doing mm-hmm. enough projects that you can really control it. But I totally get what you're saying. I like that same thing. 
like a larger scale example of that is like Madame Homes, right? Or something like they mm-hmm. they do their own development, their parcels. They they build out the units themselves. And of course, they subcontract, yep. and then they have a crew. And from what I've heard, and this is just you know secondhand knowledge, I've heard people say uh, when they've bought them that they have an excellent crew that goes around and fixes deficiencies, anything that's wrong. Like they have their whole system built out. Mm-hmm. So. So they don't necessarily, I'm not saying they don't get great trades, they probably get awesome trades, but they don't necessarily need to have the best because they can have their fixers go around and just touch things up as needed. Right, right. Yeah. And it makes sense to do it that way, especially the scale that they're doing it on, right? I mean... So that's the, that's the key question for a lot of people. I think they look at it and they say, well, I've got a full-time job. I don't want to manage... I don't want to manage a, con- uh, a construction site, so I'll then, hire. Then they shouldn't, right? I mean, then they shouldn't. So, you know, if you can buy the deal good enough and you can add enough value, then the margin should be big enough that you can afford to hire it out as well, right? It doesn't have to be the full-time job. Because ever, yeah, everyone wants to make their profit. So what you're mm-hmm. really doing as a GC is you're taking the general contractor's profit and you're not going to be as efficient as they are. Right. So you're going to spend a bit more than they would, mm-hmm. but you're going to save that margin. And for some people, that's the difference between a deal working and not. Mm-hmm. And you know my story, obviously. So uh, for me, it was just it was it was either learn it myself or I didn't do it. And, yeah, yeah. And I did. Now we don't, we can't all be investing in Windsor where the cash flow uh, cures all <laughs> wounds, but um, it's not all property still, right? It's it's mostly just the student rentals that um, cash flow. Like I mean, that. I think the cash flow is pretty attractive in, in all fronts. Like even the smaller multifamily, larger multifamily properties, the cash flow is pretty high. Now, keep in mind when we go larger multifamily, we start buying based off cap rates, so your cash flow is going to diminish, right? When you do yeah. that. But anything in the student housing market is like a ridiculous, ridiculous cash flow proposition. Like something that I've never seen before in my short 25 years on this planet. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So your, uh, your age makes, uh, I'm sure many people wish that they'd done more uh, younger, including myself. Well, uh, I mean, you can, you can say that about anyone. Like if you look at like Warren Buffett, he started at 14. That makes me pretty, feel pretty silly for starting at 17, right? So is that when you brought your first one? No, my first investment. When I, I did stocks first, that was at 17. My first property was only at 23. It's like a year and a half ago. So you've done a lot really quickly. Yeah, I think that's one of the benefits of not doing a JV. And this, the point of this is not to like bash on JVs because you know there's definitely different ways to do it. But like the J, doing JVs loses all your control. You know, I can pull out capital when I want to pull out capital. And if you're a good investor... You know the return should be pretty high. Do you really want to share fifty percent of that um, to to get the deal done? I, I'd prefer not to. I think that's why I've been able to scale quicker. It is a trade off. I think there there's obviously some people that it's just going to make a lot of sense for. Mm-hmm. I've obviously advocated you don't need to, but I, as I said in Kellen's episode, I really think there's an opportunity with big projects. Like if you're getting into the multi millions and you've got somebody that can come in with like a million cash and ease the burn. So say I wanted to turn over twenty units. Mm-hmm. And if I bought it myself and borrowed the money privately against my portfolio, I'm paying 12 you know, or 10% or 9% or whatever. That's going to burn so heavy that I'm eventually going to not be profitable if I right. take too long. Mm-hmm. And I like sleeping at night. So that's why I'd, it's good to sleep at uh, night. I'm not super keen <laughs> on that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So it's, it, there's pros and cons to both strategies, right? I think it comes down to your personality too. Like you and I have pretty similar personalities. I think for both of us, it'd be hard to have a j- joint venture in there um, just because we like the control, right? Yeah. So like I said, I'm not, I'm not poo-pooing it always. Um, mm-hmm. I, I am specifically open to it on larger scale stuff. Yeah. Um, it's just, it's just the small stuff like single houses, you know, duplex, triplex, not really. No, no. I'd rather just take the hard money. Like, mm-hmm. you know, I've had 
people who lend me hard money like cash and I give them a return. And right. that, that works really well. Right. And I'm going to challenge you on that a little bit because the bigger the deal gets, the more I want 100% of the profit because typically we're going to do better, right? I mean, you can only make so much money doing a duplex. The reason why is because yeah. you're restricted to comparables, right? But once we do you know, 10 units plus and we can use cap rates, now we can really start making some money there, right? So, Well, sure. But again, sleeping at night. It's, it's all about right. knowing yourself, right? Like I have, I'm not a big sleeper, so yeah. I'm okay with that. <laughs> I, I've been very adamant. Of, you know, I made so many mistakes in my 20s that I, I had to really come to a terms with who I am and how I am. Like, and that's what I try and be very consistent with. I say no more than I say yes to opportunities. I, I'm very mm-hmm. careful about what I take on because I want it to fit with me and my personality. So yes, generally speaking, very conservative about getting in, into a deal with a JV partner. But I look at personality, I'll look at that, like a good friend of mine, we partnered on many, many deals, like flips more in a company. Right. But it worked out really well. See, flips I'd be more into because I mean, it's a short term, um, short term proposition. It's a long term that kind of... It is because, yeah, like you said, there is the challenge with, okay, I want to refinance because I have an opportunity here, right? which I don't necessarily want you, Mr. Joint Venture Partner, for that opportunity. And then you have to work that out. So it's uh again yeah it it can work it's just a very very uh everyone needs to be on the same page as to how you're going to do it because you could write that into your contract Mm -hmm. and i know there are some lawyers out there that do so many jv contracts that they've got all the terms just queued right up and right the one thing too that gets scary though with the jvs is i find a lot of people spend more of their time practicing raising capital and raising jv partners instead of like improving their investment skills too right so that's like a scary if, if like a beginner is listening to this right now I would almost recommend doing a deal just with 100% ownership in it and working on improving your skills of adding value because you're going to find out if you can't add enough value, your capital is not going to last very, very long, right? So it kind of forces you to adapt and get better. Um, so, I mean, it's an interesting, interesting way to start, right? Oh, I see what you're saying. Yeah. So, yeah, if you're burning money, you've got to be real efficient. You've got to be real efficient, right? What better, what better way to learn than when you're stretching each dollar, right? Whereas with JV, it's not even your own capital. Maybe you're cutting corners. Um, Mm -hmm. Yeah, different way to look at it. For sure. So you are in Windsor for how long now? Um, I moved there in July of last year. So a little over a year now, year and a half. Man, you moved fast. Right. And how how did you get all these mortgages being self-employed as you are as a realtor? My mom. So my mom co-signs. She's never given me a dollar, but luckily she's willing to co-sign for me. Um, so all every property I own, my mom's on title. Uh, We always joke around with it because now she's a real estate mogul. Uh, she owns all these properties, but um, yeah. So my mom co-signed me. Do you put her on for like one percent ownership, or or is she? A fit- she just co-signs on it. So like when we do the taxes, okay, so the banks don't don't make her go on title. So she's not. She on does title. go on title. Yeah. Yeah. She, so do you know the percentage she goes on title? Or I'm not too sure. So like the way we do it with the taxes, for example, is everything just goes under my name, and like right, so, so I she sold, doesn't get anything. Right. Yeah. I sold one of my properties too, and all of it went under me, and yeah. the way we do the rental income. So yeah, that makes she sense. She pretty much has the worst trade deal of all time she gets no benefit and just a ridiculous amount of risk so what are moms for that's right that's right <laughs> that's awesome yeah so everybody you know kind of needed an advantage when you're getting started mm-hmm. right like as a realtor and i think you're doing quite well as a realtor i know that you're yeah, your you okay. brand out there mm-hmm. you, you seem to brand yourself very well you have a youtube channel as well don't you i do yes yeah you, you've been sharing some videos of your properties as well so absolutely yeah um, obviously with time now you'll be in a position where that that is enough to get you all the mortgages you need. You just got to get that to your track record. Right. Well, I mean, at that point, it's probably not going to matter because, I mean, the next... You'll d- own the world at that point, so it won't well, <laughs> Not that far, but I, I already do own the land where I'm planning on doing the next development, and that one will exceed eight units, which means that I can now do it off cap rates and I can go commercial lending. So ideally, at that point, I mean, 
I'm not going to be buying, you know, single family homes and duplexes forever. So by the time the mortgage works with my income, I, I probably won't even be doing yeah. it that way anyway. So what we've been working on, um, we, we were talking originally about, well, a couple of things. We've, <laughs> we've flopped around using yes. your ideas of what you wanted to, uh, to do. Yep. Uh, so most recently, it is a new construction duplex. Right. Is that still the plan? Yes. Yeah. So it's funny that you say that because I do shift around a lot because it's just, for me, it's like a state of emergency to get to the next level, right? So if something's taking too long or there's too much pushback, I'm just going to ditch it and move to the next thing that will push me forward. Seeking the path of least resistance? Not necessarily. It's seeking the path that's going to let me do step number three, right? So whenever you do one thing right now, it's to allow me to do step number three, right? So whichever Mm -hmm. way I get there, I'm open to, but uh, that's why I shift a lot. So yeah, right now, what we did was we're severing the lot. So I bought a double lot. Mm-hmm. The property's right on the property line, which okay. they used to be able to build right on the property line on this street. So I have just a full vacant lot just with a detached garage on it, tear down the detached garage and then build a uh, student housing duplex. Okay. So let's talk about what the steps have been on this plan. Right. We won't go through the other ones we tried. Let's not. Um, yeah. So on this <laughs> specific plan, um, you saw the opportunity. Mm-hmm. We had already sort of talked about initiating the survey. So you have a survey. Right. Um, you've worked with a designer. Mm-hmm. All, all drawings are done, even the exterior drawings now. Uh, I haven't so you sent have them ele- to yeah, you yet. Yeah, you haven't sent them to me. Yeah, okay. yeah, just got so them a couple of days ago. So you got elevations done. Mm-hmm. Um, you can see what the outside looks like. And then yep. I th- one of the first things we were, we were working on is a functional layout. Right. And tell, you know, talk about some of the specific issues you were having with your designer. Not, mm-hmm. not trying to diminish Knock or anything. On the designer or anything. Yep. Yeah, but yep. just some of the, the challenges because other people are probably going to experience this too. Yeah, just I guess my biggest piece of advice right away before we even get started is just remember that you're the one steering the ship, right? So if, if your designer does something that you don't like, just make sure that you take control of it and, and get what you want done. So the issue that we had originally with the architect is they just wanted to do like all bedroom windows to the front and back of the building. Even though there was nothing in the building code or anything stating that, he just had this impression that that was necessary. So he didn't want bedrooms on the sides. He didn't want bedrooms on the sides. And I wanted only bedrooms on the side. So it was conflicting. So pretty much what happened was he sent me the drawings and I stayed up to like four in the morning and just did the drawings myself, went to his office the next day and said, draw this. And that's what happened. And and I've done the same thing. Like Mm -hmm. you you have to know the rules, right? Like, okay, well, wait a minute. Why are you doing it that way? Because If you had settled for the design he sent you, it would have been drastically inferior and you wouldn't, sure. it would have just not been uh, the best possible product you could have had. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So by pushing back, so now we've got this model where you've got all the pro- uh, bedrooms on one side and let's hope, let's hope that the municipality doesn't give any trouble on that. Well, I called you first to see like if, if you've ever heard of this because it didn't make any sense to me. And then I also called the city, the person that I'm working with in the city and they're like, I don't see why that would be an issue. And I'm yeah. like, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Like I, I, I don't, it doesn't make sense to me. So I've done that multiple times where mm-hmm. I did, I've done a hallway on one side and then just bedrooms all down the other side. Just makes sense. It's the most efficient design. It I is. mean, it's not attractive maybe for a homeowner mm-hmm. as attractive. It's still fine. Yeah. But this is student housing. Like in you Waterloo, know what it is. Yeah. yeah. The Waterloo, the way we built it too is when you walk into the apartment, you have a big open living room kitchen. And then a hallway yeah. of bedrooms, right? Like that's just the way yeah. to do it. Space efficiency. For purpose-built student rentals, there are worse things. Yeah, like I've, I know in London, some of the first purpose-built student rentals I said, ha- saw had hallway down the middle, bedrooms on either side, all the way down in the kitchen and living room at the very front. Oh, yeah. You know, it's just very, and that's a pretty common layout mm-hmm. you probably see Extremely common, yeah. yeah. We've done a few of those. What other challenges have you had so far on that one? I, I guess the, the, the more the challenges were, were up dealing, front. Dealing with the city um, was the biggest challenge. And if anyone from the city of Windsor is listening, you guys do a great job. No, um, it, it was a little bit challenging because it's COVID too. So everything's a little bit slower. So one, you couldn't go into the city. Um, 
Two, you couldn't get anyone on the phone. So it's only done through emails where the average response time is five days. Mm -hmm. So being a first time developer, not really knowing what's going on and doing it that way um, was really challenging. But now um, I had lunch with somebody and now we're getting replies pretty quickly and we're on the phone pretty much daily. So yeah, it'd be probably pretty helpful to take them up for golf if they golf. Or, I don't right. Think, can yeah. they accept that? And like, <laughs> I hope so. Yeah, it was a friend of a friend connection. So we went for lunch and uh, it's yeah. helped me tremendously. So now I get responses yeah. really quick. Yeah. Okay. So I know we were talking about on this specific lot, we were talking mm-hmm. about trying to do, wasn't it a fourplex it was going to be? Right. So originally we're going to use both lots. So we so right now we're keeping the existing house and yeah. building something else. So technically it's three units instead of yeah. four. So we are missing out on one unit. But, but yeah, we not were gonna, tearing down a house is more profitable, I would think. Oh, the yeah. the profit margins now are yeah, I'm making almost yeah, it, the profit's good. Okay, so let's let's isolate the value of that lot. Let's do so the, the lot that you're severing. Yeah, so the lot's probably worth around anywhere from 100 to 125,000. Okay, but you in terms of cost, mm-hmm. what are you going to like let's just just assume the house that you already bought it already cash flowed. It, it was does. good. Yeah, tremendously. So what uh what's it going to cost you to sever do you figure? So like the whole severance process yeah, so or like, all of the soft costs. Well, you know what? I'm going to, should I include my sunk cost of, cause I paid for the rezoning and then pulled out or do we just forget about that? Uh, we, let's just ignore that. Cause okay. that, that's a different, right. I mean, we could look at it. What was that? That was like five grand, 5,500. Yeah. Which is ironically enough, pretty much the same cost that it's going to be to sever the lot. Right. Okay. So you're looking at, so basically including sunk costs, you're about 11,000. Right. Figure? But let's keep that out because I'm still in negotiations. I am trying to get that back. So, okay. So 5,500 then in soft costs. Right. Let's do that. Well, plus your to. survey though. Right. Well, the survey was about $1,200 to $1,500, I think. That's it? Yeah, I think so. Oh, wow, you found a cheap survey, right? Yeah. Okay. So we'll call it $7,000 then is your soft costs to sever that lot. So that's really the cost of that lot mm-hmm. because, and it wasn't like you were burning money while you're doing it. Cause the other ca- property is cash flowing the whole time. Yeah. 1300 a month. 1300 a month. Yes. Man, Windsor's great. My best, most cash flowing property cash flows that. <laughs> <laughs> and that property is worth a million dollars. Like just short of a this, million This property is worth a quarter million dollars. <laughs> so that's the difference there. Uh, yeah. London to Windsor. Um, anyway. Okay. So you're $7,000 in, uh, then to build, what are we thinking? Have you crunched those numbers yet? Yeah. So let's do around like, do you want to do like 180 a square or do you want to push it up to 200? You know, the lumber cost went down a little bit. I've been, Did I've it? Been yeah, keeping I, my actually, eye I saw, I saw that too. Um, so let, even let's just say 190 a square foot sure. if you end up yeah, there let's do 190 uh, a being conservative. Yeah, sure. Um, and how many square feet are we looking at there? So it's, um, do you have a calculator on your Excel? Yeah. 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 17 by 55 and then times two is two floors. Oh, I think it's so. like 1800 square feet maybe. All right, let's just see here. So 190 by 17 times 55, 55 times two two floors. So, uh, yeah, 350. Um, They're going to charge you development charges, right? Or no? No, waived area. Waived. Okay, so permit fees, you might be four grand or something Mm -hmm. like that. Um, What else might you have? You're going to have some insurance. I don't know. We can, that would be in the 190. So, what about uh, connections? To the road, you're going to need to connect sanitary and water main. Well, we already have the existing because it's like each lot beside it already has houses, right? So it's not like I'm putting no, a lot in the middle. No, you just need to cut into the road. You just need to bring it to the lot line. Exactly. Yeah, so you'll yeah. probably be another twenty grand doing that um, connections. So let's just say conservatively, you might be able to do it a bit cheaper. But uh, okay, so let's just sum that up. So you're going to be into and a basement. We have to finish the basement as well. So. Um, but that one ninety should cover that. Really. Okay. Yeah, I think so. Um, so I'm gonna oh, make actually, more, you know, you're throwing, 
well with the kitchen mate maybe we'll just bring you up to 200 then sure yeah so it, so it'll cover that let's see since there's a kitchen down there change my mind okay <laughs> it'll be a nice kitchen so too. you'll be closer you'll probably be you know 375 to 400 if, if you're self-managing right. running the show right uh, i think that's very doable so total invested into this lot and building is four hundred and five thousand. Mm-hmm. now what kind of arv arv are we looking around seven hundred thousand. you think it's 700 okay yeah. so we'll just write this in so you're in a position where you'll be able to pull all your money back out too definitely and some yeah i should get almost six figure on, t- on top of the pull out because we can still do um 20 percent down um as well it's just a duplex right 780 percent hopefully you can still get that you may have to go 75 depending on- i did we, ha- we had a meeting with my uh mortgage broker he seems to think that there's no reason why we would have to go to the uh, okay so he thinks he can get yeah, it done with a regular a lender extremely confident yeah yeah so you can still get them done with a lenders it's just some of them it, depending if there was locks on the doors and the appraiser says this is clearly a student house in their report then sometimes right, they won't right. do it yeah but and i'm you, never opposed i actually enjoy having more equity in my properties yeah. typically i don't even refinance um if i don't have to so new loan here would be 560 mm-hmm. which means you're going to be pulling out 155,000. Yep. Uh so 155,000 and then you're going to cash flow. Let's let's just see how much it'll be. So uh what do you figure your rents are going to be cuz you how many bedrooms are we talking? You're nine. six it'll six bedrooms nine. in the main unit and then right. three in the lower? Yeah, so six bed, three bath upper and then uh three bedroom, one bath lower. Okay, so six uh time uh, sorry, how much rent are you expecting in the I'm expecting 675, but let's do 650 per room just across the whole house yeah just to be more conservative but i do think it'll be higher i think i'll get 700 per room on the lower and 675 on the upper 58 50 gross rent right oh that's that's nice okay so taxes what do you figure you'll get into on something like, like that? the property tax yeah. is probably going to be around 5k per annum yeah they will uh, assess it of so course. you just got to kind yeah. of see what the neighbors are paying i, I did i looked at uh, some other new development that did a similar thing he was at like 40 4500 i think taxes so Let's give an extra 500 for fun. Okay. So, so to be, be conservative, we'll say two grand in insurance. I'm sure you could do it a bit cheaper than sure. that, yep. but just, just in case mm-hmm. utilities, you're going to have, you're going to be inclusive. I do. Yeah. But I cap them as well. So what I'm thinking is it's like going to be 350 for a hydro and water. 350 a month. Okay. And then we're probably going to do another 125 for gas between the two units. Oh, okay. Okay. So we're going to be, uh, we'll call it 475 a month then. For sure. Yeah. And then we do have to include internet as well for students that's right okay so, so that's a 150 per month on top of that i get the that. uh i get the fiber optic gigabit just so you, they don't complain you gotta listen to your market so that's that's yeah. good so we said 475 plus 150 so you're gonna be 625 then right yeah i and it's i want to add to that it's not just the market so nobody really does that in the market the reason i do is because i do not want to get a complaint i don't want to ever get a phone call for anything so i just try to get it i totally agree with that I, you, you didn't hear about this yet but i've been Having issues because I have my, my duplex okay. where I have water meter. It's supposed to be a 60-40 split, mm-hmm. but the tenants have like basically created a war between each other and oh, me. Oh, no. That they, don't, they think the other one's using way too much. And, and so now I'm doing private metering. So I, I agree with paying to eliminate headaches. Like of this course. is just yeah. Especially as you scale, silliness. Right? Silliness. Yeah. Um, okay, so lawn cutting and snow removal. I, I do it myself, but I mean, if you just want to put in a, 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 a number for it, yeah, 100 a month if you want. I, I like a... I, across the year probably that you might be able to get a little cheaper in winter even just say a thousand well, especially because i have um multiple lots as well right so if i did end up outsourcing it they would do all five lots and then it would probably be a reduced rate especially but, if they're close well actually i was getting i think it was 125 a month 
that I got the quote for, but then uh, my dad actually cuts all my lawns. I don't do it myself. Um, so you put in whatever, whatever That's you feel awesome, comfortable man. Okay, with. I'm just going to put it if, if we were some random person doing it. Right. So um, management, I'm not going to put anything there. I know you manage yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm a big advocate for that, but I will put in just 500 miscellaneous sure. uh, costs that you may have throughout the year. So you're a 7.24% cap rate on that mm-hmm. for a new development. On a new development. And then what do you figure? I mean, interest rates have been good. What do you think you're going to be getting at? It's probably going to be low twos. Yeah, let's just say 2.5. Sure. We don't know what will happen over the next year. Um, do you know when we're going to be, like, when are you going to be seeing a building permit for that, do you figure? Well, so with the communication with the city, they say there's no reason I shouldn't be able to start by February, which is the goal. Nice. So I can finish for September. So that's very, very soon. Okay. Right. So we're filming this in November. Mm-hmm. Um, all right. So 2000 bucks a month cash flow on that. Right. So something which is that's going to pay which you. doesn't even get me that excited, to be, <laughs> to be frank with you, just because the fourplex offered much more cash flow, but we need to do this to be able to build for next year or so. This is something you can re-leverage. You're talking about pulling out $155,000. And that's included. So that money now is is more or less free, if you want to think of it that way. Right. Because the interest is being paid for by that house. Mm-hmm. So as yep. long as you can keep that thing fully occupied. Which, yeah, for sure it will be as well. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So, yeah, you seem to know your market pretty well and what, what they want. Like I know we've talked a lot about make it special, make it stand out. Because that way, when other people, if the market changes, you will stand out and continue to rent right. even if others don't. So in Windsor, the, the people I compete with, the purpose-built housing, I don't know what they're thinking, but when they build these new properties, they do ugly tile flooring, like yeah. just regular counter. T- it just doesn't look good. So, And they're charging six fifty a room. That's why I'm saying I'm pretty yeah. confident I'll get higher. I'm going to do like white marble, kind of the way you do your properties. Yeah. Um, so it'll definitely stand out. Uh, and it's about 700 meters from the university as well. So. That's amazing. Which is yeah. my farthest, furthest property from the 700 university. 700 meters. So everybody's walking. No yeah. one has to bus. Well, no, no yeah. bus. That's actually quite amazing. Like in Western, that's not reasonable. Like the campus mm-hmm. is just so big. Like you right. bus from one end to the other. Yeah. Different, different markets are like that. When we were in Kingston as well, building uh, the Sage Kingston project, you had to be like, you know, like yeah. a kilometer and a half away. So actually outside of that though, all of my properties are within two streets from the university. I have house that's five houses away. That's usually yeah. what I try to do. But, is the um, campus pretty centralized? Yes. So it's all like in one spot. Very dense. You do have other like smaller campuses on the outside, but you always want to be close to the main campus. The that's, main building. That's yeah. where the most population is. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know why Western's done what they've done. Like there's just... Well, like, it's a huge. It's huge campus. From the east end to the west end, it's like a mm-hmm. kilometer and a half probably. And then well, they've the got the population though is what, like 30,000 Western? Oop. Yeah. I think it's even more than that. Um, right. It was 30,000 when I went there and that was a while ago. You know, a couple of years anyway. It's almost twice twice the size. So yeah, campus spread out. Huge opportunity there in Windsor, though. I mean, mm-hmm. obviously, it's got the law school. Do they have a med school there too? No, they don't have no med school. Oh, no. So it's got law school, obviously engineering. So they, they do have a a joint program. They go across the border, which is the hugest. Oh yeah, hugest the, the joint law to Detroit Mercy. Exactly. Yeah. My and, friend was uh, was in that program. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. So just looking at your your return here. So annual pay down on that mortgage going to be thirteen thousand six hundred. Uh, appreciation if you got three percent would be 21,000. I know everywhere has been doing better than that, but I don't like mm-hmm. to bank on it. Mm-hmm. And uh cash flow 24,000 a year, so that's 58,000 a year on something you'll have nothing into. Uh, even if you were to buy it at a 20% down payment, you'd have 38% return on investment. Right, and I always look at return on equity always always always. So Yeah, which initially is the same. Return ROE right. and ROI are well, the same after, initially. After the so so yeah, that then mm-hmm. there you go. So mm-hmm. then you're you're going to be at an ROE of almost 40%. Right, and I always look at the ROE. It's super important to me because if the ROE is ROE is lower than 
what kind of hits my threshold and yeah. I don't want to hold the asset, right? Right. So for those who aren't familiar with that, um, just think of it like this. If, if you've owned your property for a long time and you only paid, you know, 5% down, like 20 grand for it, but now it's got $500,000 in equity, you want to find a way to calculate a return on that $500,000 in equity right. uh, to figure out if you're efficient, because the idea is you could technically refinance to, to 20% equity. And now all of a sudden, when you're calculating return, it's numerator over denominator. With the denominator smaller, you have a higher return. Right. So that's and, I, what, and then you redeploy that capital, the extra money you pull out elsewhere. Mm-hmm. And, and the idea is if you're getting an optimal ROE uh, on every property, you're going to make more money overall. Right. You, ROE always has to be you know, the front runner of your decision making. So, and, and if you're going to sell it, make sure to take it one step further. What are you going to pay in taxes? And include that into your ROE because um, unfortunately, the taxes are high in this country. They're really yeah. high. So, you know... And that's a big that's a big hurt, right? Because you know, up front, if you're at the top tax tax bracket uh, and you sell, then you're mm-hmm. going to be looking at you know paying paying twenty five percent on your gain. Yeah, that's why I don't do flips because flips are taxed at your income rate, and you know if you're an above fifty percent income tax bracket, it just really digs into the returns, right? Well, I just launched the episode with Cherry, and obviously there's you know I'm not a, not an accountant, so talk to your accountant. But I read her book. Oh, you did? Okay, nice. I have not read it. Uh, but fifty, I'm I'm at like a thirteen percent on my active corporation. So if I flip a property in my active corporation, it's just 13. I think it's 13. I'm liking, I'm liking you less and less as this uh, podcast goes on. <laughs> you would be too. So you just have to incorporate. Oh, okay. So active versus passive. And again, everyone always talk to your accountant. But my, my scenario is that my active income is very low tax. And then my passive, my rental income is like 50% tax, right. which is insane. And depreciation. Yeah. So that's, that's my saving grace is that I can do the, what's called the capital cost allowance. Mm-hmm. And I basically have them so far the first two years in my corp for like holding just a passive property. Uh, I've, I haven't paid tax on it. So, and I will keep doing that because mm-hmm. to me, time value of money dollar today is worth more to yes. me than a dollar, you know, five years from now or whatever. When you sell exactly. See, yep. An account will always, you know, many accounts will tell you, well, no, don't you want to wait to to do the capital cost allowance until you're making more money or Mine something did like the that. the first year and I said, no, you're putting it in right now. Like that's hundred percent happening. Yeah. I mean, it's, everyone's going to have their own scenario for me. I don't like that. I want right. that. I don't want to pay that tax. Like if my, if my accountant says, oh, you could pay 20 grand more tax or we can write down your properties. I'm saying write down my property. Of course. Yeah. You're an investor that your capital or your tools, that's your, that's your tool belt, right? So you need to have your tools. Well, and if your tools are getting you 38%, like by having that money now, think about what you're doing, mm-hmm. right? So you're able to re- redeploy that. Maybe this, do is a quick, this is a quick development. I don't want that to reflect the numbers of the student housing development in Windsor. The numbers are much better than that on the bigger scale projects. Um, better than that. So you're saying the cap rate is higher than 7.24%? Well, not after you refinance it, but then at that point, you'll be able to refinance based off the cap rate. So the, the biggest trap in Windsor is the low housing prices. So when I do a deal like this, I should not be refinancing at a seven cap for a brand new development, right? Whereas when we build multiple units, now it's a multifamily property, we use a cap rate. Now I'm revaluing at the true value of the property. So my refinance is going to be much higher. The cash flow will take a hit. So the ROE will be lower because of that, right? But when we do like little single family student rentals or duplexes, we're, we're capped at the comparable properties. That's why the ARV right. is so low, right? This should so not you're be just, a you're just saying, Yeah, you're just saying they're looking at comparable properties, duplexes, and you're just getting a duplex comparable. And I agree with you. you once you get into using an appraiser that, that is, has the AACI designation, they do that what's called a long narrative appraisal. And then you're like, you're into a hundred, a hundred page appraisal report. Right. Those ones cost like 2,500, 3,000 bucks. Mm-hmm. But those are the type of appraisals they'll do on a sixplex or, or higher. And mm-hmm. 
Now you're dealing with commercial lending and commercial lending is willing to lend based. They'll do their own internal valuation with a cap rate. They'll calculate your debt coverage ratio. Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, they absolutely might value you at a four cap, if that makes sense for your market. I doubt it does there. Probably a five cap is what it would be, but definitely not a seven. Like that's ridiculous to see, right? But I'm not complaining because I still get, right, the the numbers are fine, but that is why, uh, you know, you want to go into more units as quick as you can. This is right up the alley of the the episode I did a a little while back with Charles Waugh talking about infill development, because that's really Mm -hmm. what you're doing. You're you're taking a lot that's there, um, that's not technically severed now, but you're going to sever it. Um, any idea why they set it up that way? Why they put the house onto one side and then you just had this big open space on the other? I don't know, but I would love to thank the person who did it. Yeah. Um, I don't know what the reasoning was. They were really awesome it. for doing that. Yeah, yeah, thank you. You think it was a previously a separate lot or emerged well, or no? On the, on the survey, it's, uh, it's two lots, but I can't find anything through the city where it was severed. Like two part lots? Right, exactly. Yeah, yeah. So it's like lot 31, lot 30 on the on the survey. Interesting. There might already, maybe there was at one point a house built there. Right. It, you know, it could have been, who knows? And then they tore it yeah. down and it just merged with the other one. So yeah, who knows? Yeah. That works out really well for you. Okay. So that one looks like a pretty fantastic deal. Yep. You've got yourself yeah. a, an extra lot. You just mm-hmm. bought another one. I did. What'd you buy? So duplex conversion. I couldn't help myself because we thought we were going to do the fourplex. So I have this extra capital save that I was going to spend on that. So I thought, you know what? This property is something I can do a duplex conversion on. So the listing agent didn't even put that the zoning supports a duplex for it. Um, they just put residential. So I looked through the city, found that it supports a duplex, and it's five houses away from the main campus of the University of Windsor. Really expensive neighborhood. So you're going to uh, do a basement unit on this? Yeah. The basement is 1,800 square feet. No way. Unfinished. How is that even feet possible? Ceilings. So the building, the, the structure is 30 by 60, I believe. Wow, that's massive. It is the biggest basement I have ever seen. And in the video, I took a video tour of it the first time. And in the video, as soon as I walk, down in Serbia. And I was like, I'm buying this immediately. <laughs> like, there's no way I'm not buying this. And what did that cost you? So I, I, I spent a lot on this one. Um, I spent $340,000 acquisition. That's really not that much for how big that is. No kidding, right? So the upstairs, the main floor unit is already a three bedroom, one bath as, okay. it, as it stands right now. It doesn't really need any renovations, but I'll probably spruce it up a little bit. Paint three trim. bed, one bath with 1800 square feet. Yes. Because you, you could add bad, bad bedrooms. The layout, the layout just doesn't really allow it. Doesn't really. Okay. Yeah. yeah it doesn't allow yeah. it. It's a massive oversized three bedroom, one bath. And you know what? I'm okay with that because the cash flow on this will be the same as the cash flow on the duplex, 2000 a month, roughly. 2000 a month. Yeah. At the end. And That's it should all right. be all money out or maybe $10,000 left in the deal. What do you figure in your, I know, is 1800 is a lot to finish. Are you planning on finishing all that? Yeah, I am. So that it's going to be pretty expensive. I think it's probably going to be close to a hundred thousand dollars. I'm thinking 75 to a hundred thousand, yeah, probably close to a hundred. Yeah. The first contractor I, I had that gave me a quote for a contractor as well, not, not doing sub trades was 75,000. Yeah. Okay. Well, I mean, the nice thing with contractors for that is they probably do a lot of them. It's, right. it's not that complex mm-hmm. of a reno. So that and one... I, I might actually use a contractor for this one because I'm going to be building the, yeah. the other one at the same time. Right. And, and by no means do I mean to demonize contractors mm-hmm. in any way. I would, I would use them in certain circumstances, of right. course, right? It's just a matter of personal preference, I think, is the main thing. And yep. then if you yeah. have the time, you know, learning, it's a skill to be able to do it. So mm-hmm. if you, let's just say you were 100 with carrying costs. Sure. Let's do it. Uh, so if you were 100 on that, then you're going to be 440 all in. Yes. And what do you think you're going to be worth at the end of that? The ARV, when I talked to the appraiser about it, was around 550, which I really think it's worth a lot more than that. But let's use what the appraiser says at 550. Okay. So 550 and... 
let's just assume we're going to still get that 80% until you tap out. Mm -hmm. So on that 550 times 0.8, you're making this seem fun. <laughs> what, the uh, Windsor market? Yeah, just like... It's like I'm monopoly. So everything, everything just pays like crazy. So you, it looks like you'll be in for zero. It looks like you're going to get a new mortgage at 440. You're yeah, in for 440. You know what? I'm budgeting that it's going to cost me like a little bit more than that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Some, something's going to happen because this isn't a brand new development. So like I'm going to run into something. Yeah. For sure. Okay. So then that one, you're going to have how many bedrooms in total? So the upstairs is going to remain a three bedroom, one bath, but it yeah. is going to be the sweetest three bedroom, one You're bath. You're going to get more than Windsor, 650. And it's that, five yeah. houses away from the main campus. Yeah. Very expensive neighborhood. So that one's going to be what? 700, you think? 750 per room, minimum. 750 times three. And then we're going to add how many in the basement? So this one will be 700 per room as well in the basement. It's going to be a four bed, two bath. Okay. Why not go more? You have more space. We'll have, five see, bedrooms. we'll have to see the way when, when i drew the the drawings really quick i could only make it fit four bedroom two bath keeping a good size there because of the way the, the layout is you try to do all the what, what's in well, the layout we'll that's stopping we'll, you we'll discuss we'll it we'll, we'll discuss talk. it after we could talk now <laughs> yeah there's these huge posts um, oh, columns coming basement. down exactly you can you can reroute them sometimes depending yeah. on there structural things can change right you can put mm -hmm. beams in you can transfer loads down but you'll often have to um, smash up your floor and pour new uh, pads to, right. to transfer those loads down so mm -hmm. um which isn't that hard to do and that expensive ductwork can be rerouted but yeah that, that'd be a good one if you have a video of it we can kind of yeah we'll, we'll talk about it after but maybe we can let's let's say it's going to stay four bedrooms say okay so let's so be stay four but if yeah, we can get so, five you know me i'm going to I can get a fifth bedroom in there it's gonna happen right yeah that's why i was surprised because you definitely seem <laughs> eager to cram as many bedrooms into yeah. every house as you can to, to to a limit you know i think after this this next one that's gonna be my last six bedroom units i think i will start doing one and two bedroom units uh for the student housing one and two yes i think i will wow that's yeah. like i but feel it, like you're better off just renting to families on a one bed like, well if you look at it um the rent per square foot when you're building depending on if the city restricts you on the amount of units sometimes they'll switch and restrict you on the amount of bedrooms depends on what the city does but we we made that shift in waterloo as well we went from five bedrooms to one and twos and the rental income per square foot increased really yeah depends how you design it that that's curious to me because i mean the, mm -hmm. the big costs in your units your bathrooms and your kitchens right, right. your bedrooms yeah. don't cost you that much yeah um so when you're doing that many more kitchens like well, a kitchen per student then that is all, all of a sudden that's driving your cost well let's think about it if you can do a 500 square foot one bedroom unit you know you can jam a whole lot of those in and you can get let's say 1400 per month rental income for that 500 square so feet can you get 1400 from a student i think so if i do a luxury so there's another i ha there's this uh, girl that goes to law school she took a one bedroom and immediately i'm like, I'm like i need to go see your units close to the university i need to know how much you're paying um, and she was doing 1200 per month plus hydro there. And it was a dump carpet, everything. Um, so if we do a brand new luxury yeah. unit, I think we can do 14. I like, I really like the luxury market. That's, yep. I, I mean, there are risks with that, like anything, mm -hmm. but I, I'm a big fan of it. So on that one, um, assuming you're taking a permit, they're going to reassess your taxes. What do you figure you're going to be at? Yeah, it's going to be pr probably pretty much the same as the other one. Yeah, I, th I think so. And know. then insurance, you might, yeah, your footprint's actually going to make your insurance higher there. Mm -hmm. You're going to be like 2,500 probably. Um, I hope you're less, but uh, just I think it's less as well, but let's be um, conservative. Okay, so utilities, they're similar? Same, similar, yeah. So, yeah, so, similar. so like 7,500 a year and then right. uh, lawn cutting, I'm still going to throw that 1,000 in. Sure. Well, this one doesn't really have much, it's still throw no. it in, still throw it in. All right. We Somebody's got to cut it. I mean, I, I haven't yet, and I know I've had people, I've, I've put this challenge out there and I've had people re reach out to me, mm -hmm. find somebody who's reliable, who will cut my lawns um, and, and clear my snow for less than a hundred a month, averaging across the year.
So that's in London. Now I know I just talked to Kellen and he has somebody doing it for like peanuts, like 30 or 40 or whatever. Um, 40, 40 per month is what I would expect in Windsor. I've, I've gotten multiple wow. quotes. Okay. At, at so, that so point. that sounds awesome. I'd love that. Now in fairness, like my guy does fall clean up and cleans up my eaves troughs too right. and stuff that's included in that. So um, I'm not a, I'm not a believer in trees around the properties if they don't oh, need well, to Well, I'm not either, but, yeah. but uh, I know some people are gonna be like, we need more trees, but come on. I don't want to rake those things. Nature thought differently and, and grew them next to my houses. So, That's right. Yeah. Um, it, my, my property is pretty much across the board. Like the eavesdrops just fill up. And the problem with that is now you get water pouring over the edge of the eavesdrops yep. next to the foundation and then you get water in the basement. So mm-hmm. that's one of the most important pieces of maintenance a person could do on a property. Yeah. Even better is to buy a house with no trees around it. Right. Well, especially when you go into winter and that water coming down, the eavesdrop starts to freeze and oh, yeah. now you're getting all sorts it of damage. It can be Hit real head maybe, right? So, break yeah. your eavesdrops right off if they fill up. They, they fill a block of ice and then they mm-hmm. just start breaking off, hanging off. So anyways, side tangent. Um, <laughs> you, uh, what do you figure that's worth? 700 again? Oh, no, you were saying 550, right? Yeah, five. And again, that I really do think it's going to be worth more than that, but I don't want to, okay. to say a number that doesn't end up being say true. Say you're in with zero, 30-year amortization on an 80% mortgage. You've got instant equity in there of, uh, of 110,000. You're, you're getting 1,680 in cash flow. Mm-hmm. I mean, at that point, like these cash flow numbers are insane. Like, <laughs> Why yeah, you just retire like what? <laughs> well, I'll never retire because no, I, I know what it's I do, just fun, right? It's just fun. See, you know yeah. what? I actually, when I first started doing the YouTube, I said retired at 23, and I actually wasn't working for a while. I was just living off the cash flow, but I changed it to financially uh, free now because I'm totally yeah. not retired. Well, the, the benefit I see is just choosing each day. Like I don't yes. like doing nothing. I like I like taking on a challenge. Yeah. So that's that's the key. Like I, I'm like mm-hmm. I said, I say no a lot more than I say yes. Yeah, but how nice of a feeling is it knowing that? If you wanted to go live in Hawaii for two years, you can do it. Yeah, you can do it, and you're going to be making quite a yeah. bit of money. You know, still Absolutely. making pretty good money. Well, you're making me like consider that market. Although I, I'm I'm pretty heavy into student stuff already, so yeah. I, I just I'd like to diversify a bit out of that, mm-hmm. um, just in case something were to happen in the student market. Right. Of course, we've talked about this. Windsor, I like I like the infrastructure that's there in that town. Industry wise, it's not quite as diverse as there, some other towns. Over thirty percent of GDP is in the auto industry. Auto, yeah. Still. So. Which is great. I mean, it, and, and, and that's actually not too much either because there are other industries there too. You've got education, which is nice. And then, of course, you've got all the, the businesses that come in just to serve the people. So right. I think there's always going to be a market for Windsor. I don't know if I see a, a, a change that would come that would, that would you know, take people away unnecessarily. But who knows? Like it happened in Alberta. But even, even in Alberta, they haven't dropped like a rock. Like they, right. they've actually well, the stayed pretty thing, steady. The one thing that could have happened is if when they transitioned to electric vehicles, if Windsor didn't get the contracts to do those electrical vehicle production, that probably could have stopped them in like a 10, 15 year time period. It could have turned into like a Sarnia, but fortunately they did get the contract and yeah. they're probably going to be the capital for building EVs. So it'll be good for them. Windsor's been getting better and better over time. Like yes. I remember 10 years ago, no one, no one wanted to go to Windsor and then it got turned into such a hot real estate you know what market. I hate about that though yeah. the way i invest in stocks and everything and i still invest in stocks too but the way i invest is usually when people don't want to buy things that's when i get really excited that's why i came to windsor originally as well i don't like that everybody likes it so much oh yeah it kind of ruins the fun it does because then everybody comes in there and they steal steal your uh, your opportunity you could close your eyes and throw a baseball and hit a student house three years ago and you, you would have made tons of money right um that's usually what happens when people are not buying those assets but now as it gets more popular you know those those returns yeah. diminish of course when they do come are you able to help them as a realtor 
Of course. Absolutely. Yeah. What are you like? Who are you t- typically helping? As a so realtor? student housing right now, I'm trying to encourage everybody, please take advantage of this small period of time that we have in history where the universities are closed, because once they open back up the numbers that we have right now, people are going to be buying it just like they were before COVID. Like I think yeah. it was the hottest submarket in all of Canada. So if you can buy student housing now, if you have a short-term risk tolerance, um, and then I do small to medium-sized multifamily as well as is my specialty. Okay. So those, yeah. most people are, are investors that are working with you. I, yeah, exclusively work with investors. If you want to buy your dream house, I'm not the guy. I don't really get super excited about that. But if you want to make some money, I'm definitely here to help you. I like that. I think, I think being in a niche in any business is mm-hmm. so much better than being just, hey, I serve everybody. Well, just enjoy what you do. I, like, yeah. I, I just don't get a, a thrill out of walking through and you know liking certain accent walls and stuff. I like talking numbers. And if the numbers yeah. work, I get excited too. So it's a lot of fun. I do like the creative side of it. Like, mm-hmm. I, I love creating the nice product and then also profiting. Those are cool. Yes. It, you know what? Be, that's one of my favorite parts about being a developer soon to become a developer is like no other business can you like think of something, imagine something in your mind and then actually make it come true. Right. And every time you drive by that street, you're like, yeah, yeah, yeah I built that. Some of the most fun is just like going to see the properties while they're being renovated. I, I, yeah. I like thoroughly enjoy that. That's like a happy place for me. Uh, my wife always says I'm happier when I'm doing, doing a, a project right, yeah. for myself, like doing the big builds, like it it becomes more project management mm-hmm. uh, and less less of an adventure. Yeah, um, especially because I've done it a lot, and you know it's just it's less new. But uh, I love I love the uniqueness of a new project. Okay, sure. well we've got these beams in the way, these columns in the way. Mm-hmm. How are we going to make this work? And the creative element of of like seeing it from start to finish, like this layout didn't work, and I worked with the designer to make it work, just like you're doing right now. Right. No, you tell the designer, no, this mm-hmm. is what I want, and then you see it come to life. When you see that finished. That's weirdly satisfying. Of course. Well, it's an intellectual challenge too, right? Which is why I think maybe both of us like it too. It's not like an easy thing per se, right? You know, creativity, intelligence really comes into play when it comes to development. Like even when we were in Waterloo and I worked for the developer, my mom would come visit. I would walk her through and point at all of them. We built this one. Like, you know, we built this. We're going to build this here. It was so exciting. So that's something we haven't gotten into yet. You Mm kind of had an angle on this. Give give the backstory. Like you, you worked in the industry. Right. Yeah. So when I was 17 and, and I went to Windsor, I come from a really small town of a thousand people and I saw a crane. I'm like, what, what's going on there? Like what's going on with a crane? And, and I saw that they were building an apartment building, happened to be student housing. Um, so I went to the guy, the guy that was building, his name was Alberto. I told him, I'm like, listen, man, like I'll do whatever you want. I'll clean your floors, whatever. I'll work for free. Just let me be around you. You don't even have to mentor me. Just let me yeah. be around you. I want to see how this works. And it was love at first sight, uh, seeing the construction. So I knew right then, that moment, that that's what I was going to do. Um, so then from there, for the next five years, the whole time I was in university, I got a degree, but the main thing was learning how the student housing development business works. And did you get your degree in Windsor? I did. And Waterloo. This oh, in is Waterloo. all in Waterloo. Okay, so you did it right. in Waterloo. Yes. Uh, yeah, which is, was a, a hot student market for a long time. Well, it's the, yeah. I, I consider it the student housing capital of Canada because I think even right now, if you want to fact check on it, but the statistics, I think it's like 70% of purpose-built student housing is in Waterloo, Ontario wow. for Canada. Like 70% of all Canada's purpose-built student housing. Purpose-built student housing. Yeah, because they had a lot of the high-rises, right? They had, or well, mid-rises. They, they started yeah. the trend. Like Canada's, yeah. you know, decades behind the United States and England and other countries for student housing. That's why we're seeing yeah. this incredible amount of development going around every city now. Even in yeah. Windsor, you're seeing student housing development. So, Yeah, it's, well, they, they kind of got a little bit hurt, right? For a while there, everybody was going after it. And then uh, the cap rates started to rise a bit. The values mm-hmm. went down a little bit. Um, 
maybe they hit a point of saturation. What's your take on that? What happened in, in Waterloo? Whereabouts? In Waterloo, people are still building. Um, yeah, they're still know, building. The the smart pioneers that started the development there are no longer building in water in Waterloo. They've moved it. They've moved right out. now. The new guys that, you know, the gold rush people is what I like to call them. You always have these people with capital that come in. Yeah. Well, everybody's making money, so I want to do it. But the pioneers now have moved on to Hamilton, Kingston. Um, and Niagara is another place where they're doing some building right now. So I, I keep yeah. uh, I keep close tabs to what they're doing. It's good to know that. Like I know a guy who who actually not in the student stuff, but he was buying um, hundred unit apartment buildings in Windsor. He did that for a while, then he eventually decided, okay, these numbers aren't as good for me. Then he moved to Sarnia, and then he moved across the border into the United States and just started yeah. picking his markets. And um, you know, it being able to adjust to your market, watch it is important. It's uh, it's been a hard thing for me watching London and mm-hmm. and just being frustrated with it because of the price change. But uh, we all need to pivot. You know, we all yeah. need to be able to to re- regroup if if we don't like the opportunities we're seeing. Um, we either niche down and find a specific angle on things, or we find a new market. Well, I wanted to go to London. So when when I was finishing it, when I was in my last year of university, I knew it was time to do student housing investment, mm-hmm. and it would have made more sense for me to do London because that's where I'm from. Like that's where my family is and everything, just outside of London. But so the numbers didn't really make as much sense as Windsor. And this is even well, if you're gonna relocate, three yeah. years ago. Yeah, oh, exactly. Yeah. But that's where the boom happened. 2017, things started right. to make a lot less sense. Like when mm-hmm. I was buying single family homes, like 900 square feet for 200 grand in London, that was sweet. Those, yes. were, those were good days. Yes, those were. <laughs> yeah. And then it was, uh, you know, once that same house was going for 350, now it's like 400. Right. It's, it is a lot more risk exposure. And I can tell you, rents haven't gone up like that. I mean, rents have gone up maybe 20, 30%. But you know what's happened though? The yeah. interest rates have gone down proportionally. Sure. So there is there is an adjustment there, but it's not the same opportunity it's, it's it was. It's risky too, because yeah. you know the interest rates are not set in stone forever. So you know if you're buying at those prices because the low interest rate makes the deal work, always what I always do is increase the interest rate. Right now, double it because of how low it is. Just put in your, just see if it works. Do the numbers yeah. still work with the current rents? That's a great, that's a great thing to do. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that's all about your plan A, B, and C, like making sure that even if things don't work out exactly as you want them to, can you still make this work in some way? Yeah. I'm, I'm the doomsday king. So like whenever I'm about to invest in something, I attack it from every single angle. Like all, I'll like stay how up can till, I lose? Yeah. Yes. And I, I try my best to prove it wrong as a bad investment. And I say, what if this scenario happens yeah. or this? And if it still passes... Then, then I feel confident going yeah, forward. Yeah, and it's good if you have somebody who's who's in the industry who knows what you're doing that you mm-hmm. can kind of like spitball with and say, hey, here's what I'm worried about. And like, what do you think? Especially if they're right in your market, that's right. that's super yeah. critical. Um, okay, so Marco, any tips? I mean, you're brand new at this, um, getting in, but you've moved really fast and uh, mm-hmm. you're having a lot of success. So tips for people who are you know getting started and, uh, and want to move quick, what would you suggest? People lie, numbers don't lie. So do your numbers, make sure you're doing your homework, never invest in something because somebody else told you to do it or because you see someone else having success in a certain area. Do your own numbers. If your numbers work and they work very well, then do that investment. Yeah. And to add to that, don't force your numbers to work and don't change your criteria just because you can't find a deal that works. That's the worst. You know what? Everyone's guilty of doing it once or twice when you really love it. Well, what if I could bring the cost but per square foot down, yeah, maybe you know, we'll do 25. it a cheaper. Yeah, don't do that. You're right. Good tip, Andrew. We've we've all been saved. Uh, I shouldn't say we've all, but I've been saved by things appreciation. things appreciating while I was doing the job. It's worth more than I thought it was. It's been quite easy the last five years to do well in real estate. It's not. It's it? not hard to look smart in real estate if you've owned over the last five years. Um, it's the people who can survive the downturns who have hedged and have a, a contingency plan that when things don't go great. Um, they can still make it work. And that to me, cash flow is your lifeblood. If you, if you have For that, sure. 
if you have that in abundance, even if your rents go down, even if your value goes down, you're like, well, you know what? My mortgage is paying off. I'm still making money. Absolutely. I'm okay. Yeah. I want to add one more part to my tip. I look at every single individual property as a business. I even call them business. Sometimes you'll hear on my YouTube channel, I call them businesses. Yeah. Look at it like you're buying a grocery store or something, right? Like what is the income that this is producing? What income are we expecting this to produce in the next five years or so, right? What am I paying for? You know, don't overcomplicate it. Yeah. It's, it's really simple. Um, I like that businesses and, I, and then the money for that property belongs to that business. That's what I like to think. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I'll take out money, of course, but I try and I let them grow quite significantly. I first. do it a different way. So I live off of my cash flow and I don't let myself spend $1 more than my cash flow. So if I want a Mercedes Benz, it has to be bought from passive income. That's the way I do it. But every single dollar of earned income I get, I don't get to touch it. It all goes into my investments. So your real estate business, not a single cent have I touched it. No. Beautiful. That's that's a great strategy. So everyone Mm -hmm. has their own system. I think that's an awesome system. It it seems to work well for you. Uh, Marco, if people wanted to follow you or reach out to you, Mm -hmm. where should we send them? Sure. So YouTube channel is where I do like more instructional videos and things like that. So just my first and last name, Marco Ugbaba. You might have to spell it. in. in So you don't pronounce the G pretty much. Ugbaba. 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 It is a G. Okay, I'm working on it. Ugbaba. We'll have another podcast about how to pronounce Marco's last name. Maybe if you could just do like a two minute, (laughs) break down the syllables. Have like the letters on 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 the screen and stuff. And then uh, for Instagram, it's Marco Agba. Also, Instagram, definitely make sure to follow me. You see my day-to-day. Um, yeah, sounds so, good. Yeah, those probably are the post two. more than I do. Yeah. We're close. We're close. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I've been joking about that. <laughs> one day, one day I'll start posting more. Um, okay. I, I really appreciate you coming on, uh, sharing your wisdom. I think that a lot of people are going to get uh, a little boost of confidence seeing what you've been able to do so quick. Um, one final question, just because I forgot mm-hmm. to ask it. What kind of seed capital did you have coming into all this? What what was your first property you bought? How much were you bringing in? Yeah, well, when I when I turned seventeen, I put twelve hundred dollars into the stock market. I turned that into a hundred thousand by the time I graduated from university. So I sold that. Half of it went to paying off my tuition because university is expensive. So I pretty much had maybe around like forty thousand dollars to start. Yeah, this is what I meant when I said stone cold killer. The, the, <laughs> the attitude is there, like the no excuses attitude. That's the most critical part. Yes. So uh, you've got that. It's going to be fun to watch what you do, uh, what you do over the next couple of I years. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me on, Andrew. Well, man, thanks for driving up. Awesome. Okay, talk to you soon. Thanks for tuning in to today's episode. Please make sure to share this episode far and wide. Help it help more people. I really appreciate you tuning in. Thanks. I'll see you on the next one. 